Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hanging by a Thread Behind the Seams. My name is Julie Marie Richardson. I am a costume designer and fashion historian and your host as I unravel the details of your favorite horror classics and sometimes sit down with different people in the industry to talk shop. Today on the podcast, I am joined by my very good friend, Kelsey T. Morgan, who is a wonderful costume designer, costumer, and sometimes stylist. Her slogan is, let's play dress up, which I think is perfect for Kelsey as a human being and everything that she's about. <laughs> Welcome, Kelsey. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Jolene. How are you today? I am doing wonderful. And this is, I feel like, the perfect combination of like movie and theming that we're doing because it's super cold here in New York. I know that you guys just had a cold snap out in LA yes. and we need some summer inspiration. So today <laughs> on the podcast, we're going to do things a little differently. Oh, Kelsey is a tiki and cocktail aficionado, so I thought <laughs> what enthusiast enthusiast. But she's also super good at making cocktails. Frequents all the tiki bars in LA, and I cannot wait to visit them. So today we are calling this segment "Freaky Tiki," and we are going. We made cocktails. I made a mocktail, and we're going to talk about Creature from the Black Lagoon, and we're going to celebrate Women's History Month because this is the first episode that we're doing in March, which is so awesome because we're two badass costume ladies. Hell yes, we are. Hell yes, we are. <laughs> So Kelsey, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So what got you into costumes? Costumes first, and then we'll do horror. Costumes, I mean, goodness gracious, what little girl doesn't look at some form of storytelling and kind of just imagine themselves in that escapism? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you watch, you know, plays and movies and television and you read books and you know, the clothes are such a strong aspect to what that is. Like, even as a child, my obsession with um, American Girl, like I loved American Girl. I had an uncle that lived in New York that was just this figment of an uncle in the New York area. <laughs> I didn't know him or anything, but every Christmas and birthday, he would send me things from American Girl because that was an easy, just like, here's a gift for right. a child that I don't know on the other <laughs> side of the country. And so within a couple of years, not only was I fortunate enough to have all the dolls, all the books and et cetera, I started getting the like clothes that you could match your doll with. Same. And, yeah. <laughs> and so I just like, I had this like strong affinity for just like being able to match my doll. And then I found myself waking up only child Saturday morning, not much to do. So I would dress in the clothes that I have and recreate the like illustrated portions of the book that were there. Aww. <laughs> and so I just like, I really, I developed this and my parents put me into um, musical theater, which I am so, so grateful for. I have so many wonderful memories and, you know, can sing off tune to any Broadway musical. <laughs> that you want but i quickly learned that i was the kind of triple threat that you don't want to have on stage i can't sing i can't dance and i can't act <laughs> <laughs> so by the time i got to high school and i was auditioning for the high school play our wonderful wonderful theater director of the high school um was very blatant in saying you do not have the face nor the body for the stage Aww. it was just like wow that's inappropriate but i still want to be involved <laughs> so i begged his wife who ran the costume department 
for it to let me in. She's like, no, we don't let students. And I didn't care. I show up every day to the um, theater and I would just be like, I'm here. I'm here. And finally, she got overwhelmed enough to be like, fine, sew this button on. Fine, do this. Fine, do that. And it got to the point where after a couple of plays, I was getting my name in the playbill and I really got a chance to get in on the costume department. Um, and simultaneously to that, um, <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm a Hollywood brat. I'm born and raised in LA. Um, if you live in Los Angeles, and I'm sure very similar with New York, you just kind of rub elbows with people that are in the industry and you know there's just people in the industry have children so when I was about five years old I um, befriended a girl at karate class and her mother was an Oscar award-winning like costume designer oh wow yeah so um, going over and playing with her and everything I got exposed to the world of costume design and it was just a real eye-opening thing that like as a child I knew that it was a world that I wanted access to, but I also recognized that I was still a child and I still mm. kind of had a lot of growing, but she was really wonderful and taking me under her wing. And, um, you know, uh, as uh, uh, school holidays coincided with um, uh, her being on location, I was the friend that got to go with the nanny and her to go visit her mom on location. So when I was about 12 years old, I had a very wonderful eye-opening experience to what a costume trailer was for a period piece film and mm. it was just such a moment and you know she was like all right we're leaving to go on our day trip down to you know this other place and I'm like no I'm cool like this is this is where I want to be like <laughs> <laughs> y'all go on your day trip I just want to hang out here in the costume trailer um, yeah. And that was really wonderful. So she gave me the opportunity when I was about 14 to have like an internship one summer. Um, I'm not sure how uh, legal it all is. <laughs> it's fine. It was, it was years ago. Yeah, it was, it was years fun. ago and whatever. But uh, it's actually yeah. on my IMDb. So if you look, you can find it. That's amazing. Um, and I basically was hired to wrap tissue paper around hangers. I, you know, um, would take, because, you know, this was before digital age, really. So a lot of things were done in an analog manner. It was this beautiful workspace that was set up. So you had your agers and dyers in the back, and then you had like your textile people up front and everything. So I was taking like hand printed out copies of things to different departments and just kind of, I was like basically a lesser PA. Mm -hmm. And I just had this really wonderful opportunity one summer. I even was used as a fit model, um, which was really exciting. Um, <laughs> and uh, in that summer, working on that show, I met my mentor. Um, mm. And she was the PA on that show. And um, Morgan Bailey, oh my God, I would not be the woman I am today if it were not for Morgan Bailey. Like... I, I, we don't have the 17 years of just time for me to gush over <laughs> how much this woman has impacted my life. But um, yeah, we just, we really hit it off and she became a big sister of sorts. And so she started taking me out to um, vintage stores on the weekend and she would hold up a myriad of ties and explain to me cuts and et cetera, and explain to me how a tie visually looked from a different era and how you can tell 
what era things were from, um, et cetera. Mm-hmm. She, she took me to my first aardvarks, um, which is a, a now defunct um, vintage store that had a long reign here in Los Angeles. And yeah, it was, she was really something special. And to this day is still very much a part of my life. But um, yeah, um, long story short, that's kind of how I got into costuming and fell into costuming and all that jazz. Um, fast forward, you know, a couple of years later, I was 19 and kind of a vagabond and running through life, doing different things and taking various uh, uh, creative classes at various community colleges, art and film and this and that, and not really working towards a degree, but just kind of keeping myself entertained and educated. Um, I started working at a Buffalo Exchange and that taught me a lot about clothing as well. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was about 20, I came back to LA and um I answered an ad on Craigslist that was looking for an assistant on a short film. And I had that one feature film on my resume from when I was 14. And I got my first job and I got paid $75 for three days off Craigslist. I have a photocopy of that check hanging in my office. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. Um, Yeah, that's a a whole lot of gibberish leading up to the start of my career. (laughs) No, I love that. I First of all, I'm super jealous that you've basically been primed to be a wardrobe person your entire life. Yep. Like, yep. Oh. When I tell people it's literally all that I know, yeah. I I don't know what to do otherwise. Like, yeah. I I just I don't know. I it is who yeah. I am. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no, I, I I get that to an extent because like I have maybe been a camp counselor, but other than that, I call them muggle, like quote unquote muggle jobs. I've never had a muggle job. Like I've only worked in theater since I was 11. So like that's, that's all I know. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I did work at Hot Dog on a Stick. Oh, of course. <laughs> which has a cute uniform. Exactly. Which you'd be surprised how much legal paperwork goes into that uniform. Really? Yes. Um, you were not to bring that hat outside of. You had to check your hat in and out upon each shift. You were not allowed to come to work dressed. You had to dress on the premises. Like Wow. But I loved that job. Please tell me it was at the Sherman Oaks Galleria. That's just the Valley Girl in me. Oh, honey, no. I worked at the <laughs> location on Muscle Beach. I worked at the little shack that tragically was demolished like maybe a year ago. But yeah, no, I, I definitely, that was a really fun summer. Um, That was the summer that uh, Rihanna's Umbrella, like, I don't know if it came out that summer, but that was the hit that was on the radio. Yeah. And I, it was like me and a bunch of girls from like randomly the Crenshaw area that came in. And so like, I was like local, like to Santa Monica, but they were all driving in from Crenshaw. So I definitely got exposure to um, a, re- a realm of music that I had not been listening to prior. And That's amazing. yeah, so whenever I hear the song Umbrella, I just smell like French fries. <laughs> <laughs> and my arms inexplicably just start to ache. <laughs> I love that so much. So then what in this whole mix, how did you get into horror movies? Oh, God. I feel like there's a little bit of crossover with like the mid-century tiki movement because oh, you've got rockabilly, you've got psychobilly. Like there's a lot of crossover, but what what was the pivotal moment for you? Pivotal moment. I mean, 
I mean, horror in general, like I just, I grew up a cinephile. Um, mm-hmm. I, again, being a, a Hollywood brat and being in, in LA, you just have this beautiful exposure to film and it's yeah. not just contemporary blockbusters. I, um, I belong to uh, the American Cinematheque, which is a um, film organization that specifies in retrospectives and um, it screens things on film. I've been a member since I was about, I want to say 20 when I moved back to LA. And so it's been about 13, 14 years that, um, that I've been a member of the American Cinematheque, but um you know, um, the new Beverly and once upon a time, um, cine family and just all these places where you can go and get your film exposure. And so, um, horror films have just kind of always been on the exploration side of film for me. So as I developed my cinephile muscles and, um, and my, my passion for film as a young girl, um, that's really um, one that I gravitated towards. And I think the real pivotal moment, mm-hmm. um, Bravo, the television uh, channel, yes. <laughs> had their 100 scariest moments of horror that came yep. out when I was about 13, 14 years old. And we taped it onto VHS so that mm-hmm. I could go back and rewatch it. And I remember we had like four or five VHS that had one through 25, you know, or like 100 through 75, 75 through 50, you know, et cetera. And I just remember watching these moments in horror history and just being like so fascinated by the buildup and the scare and all these different like just cinematic ways of like, like not, what's the word I'm looking for? manipulating your audience but it's more than manipulation it's engagement and senses and just all these different things that can be used and the more that I dive into that world and understanding all of that um uh finding out like symbolism and how so much of the horrors of reality can be utilized in horror like and just you know I just it's uh, and the creature of the black lagoon is such a perfect like encapsulation of so many like societal things yes and yeah um I just yeah there's there's something there's something about horror and storytelling and having the bejesus scared out of you (laughs) yeah a hundred percent yeah I think the Creature from the Black Lagoon is definitely one of those films for me that, like, I grew up watching and didn't realize how important of a message there was behind it until I got old enough. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is what's happening. It was happening back then, and it's still freaking happening now. And it's happening even worse now, environmentally. It's, yeah, environmentally, <laughs> socially, like, yes. it just, it encompasses so many things. There's something that Every time I rewatch it, and again, being so privileged to be a member of the American Cinematheque, I've seen this screened on 35 more, millimeter more times yeah. than I can count, which is yeah, that's so beautiful. wonderful. And it's one yeah. of the original 3D films. It was one of the, like, it's shot to 
have that dimension to it. Right. <laughs> and so it's um I've seen it on 35 in 3D like I'm very very privileged that that is something that I have experienced. But every time I'm in a dark theater and I'm watching it there's almost like towards the end of the film when they are trying to like combat the creature and they're using all of the drugs. Mm-hmm. I have this theory that I've actually never verbalized out loud because I don't know if I necessarily am the right person, nor do I have the right vocabulary to expose what I'm trying to say, but it is, or explain what I'm trying to say. Um, It's a perfect allegory for the crack epidemic and Mm, CIA kind of infiltrating and like a habitat that is by no means trying to cause harm to anybody or, mm-hmm. you know, these, these people that come into the Amazon and go into the black lagoon and, you know, they are in fact the villains, but they're not painted as such in the right. storytelling. And then they just start dropping this white substance and confusing mm-hmm. and killing off. And it just like, even though this movie is, came out 30 years before all of that it just it represents and I mean I, I know that's a very controversial thing to say but mm. it's just like you see it play out in such a way that it's just like holy shit that's that's exactly what our government did and you know you you watch Snowfall which is currently on FX and I think they just had their final season premiere of uh, season six which mm-hmm. total side note I don't know if you've seen any of their advertisements I haven't. Oh. I don't think I have. They're um, not not like advertised, but just like billboards. Uh, yeah, that's a big thing here in LA. It's just like billboards. Yes, you guys have a lot oh, of billboards. Yeah. We have some, but you have to really be driving on a highway. Like you don't just see a billboard walking. Fair around. enough. Yeah. Um, but there's this really cool like they live esque poster that oh, um, cool. I keep seeing over on like Virgil and Santa Monica um, as I'm driving to work, but it's like that perfect veiny like blue and red. And it like looks exactly like the um, aliens from they live. And I just keep being like, I don't watch the show, but like, I don't think they're intentionally making a they live reference, but Oh my God, is that the exact <laughs> smart work? Like, <laughs> Honestly, I wish we had more movie posters. Our subway ads are for like, Okay, Cupid and like Grubhub. <laughs> I mean, and I'm like, I don't topical. I mean, yeah, I guess so. Where where every it's it's really funny. It's a very New York thing to say that like, if you're dating somebody in Brooklyn, you live in Manhattan. It's a long distance relationship. <laughs> I made that joke the other day. Um, uh, I was on a really bad Tinder date, and the guy was like, would not shut up about his ex. And he kept being like, well, I live in Echo Park and she lived in Culver City. So like, it was really hard. And I just was like, well, yeah, that's a long distance relationship. And like a guy two bar stools down from us just like lost his shit. And just was like, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard anybody say. And I was like. And then you turned around and went on a date with that guy. <laughs> he wishes. Um, <laughs> but no, it was just like, um, yeah, it, it was just like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny, but like. Yeah. Really, you have to be committed to make that travel. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Oh, my goodness. A little backstory. We'll get into a little history. So Creature from the Black Lagoon came out in 1954. So we are like 
right at the beginning of what we like to call atomic age horror. This is like a lot of the start of it. This and Godzilla were really like the first. We are post-World War II now. Have you seen them? Yes. Oh my God. I, I love them. I love it. Um, there's that a one's great. song called Attack of the Giant Ants, which I'm 90% certain is based off of that film. <laughs> I'm Yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> Also, um, Kay and the creature just had their moment swimming because it's playing in the background. Uh, (laughs) It's such a beautiful scene. And we can talk about Shape of Water and all that after this too. Yes. (laughs) Please. (laughs) So it's directed, directed by Jack Arnold, screenplay by Harry Essex and Arthur Ross. And it was the first full body suit monster. That was ever on screen, Shut the which I think door. is pretty cool. That is yeah. a massive accomplishment. They, yeah. By Millicent Patrick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> By Millicent Patrick. <laughs> Women's history. That is that is amazing. And yes, we, we should talk about Lady from the Black Lagoon and Millicent Patrick yes. and all of those things. It's a phenomenal novel that really yes. goes into a really great um uh, history of a woman that needs more credit. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, she was a Dis- Disney animator. She worked for years at Walt Disney Studios and then she transferred over to Universal um, in the late 40s. And if you haven't read Mallory O'Mara's book, I highly recommend it. I, I tell everybody to recommend it. And the opening um, page of that book, you know how they, they'll sometimes do like a dedication or a quote at the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. So, um, that her the first page of that book it says to all the monster girls show them your teeth and I got that embroidered on my denim jacket because I freaking love that quote I, it is oh my goodness oh my goodness I, it's just so beautiful and I think it just really captures like every woman who has ever been either pushed aside or tried to be stopped for speaking or being who they are in their industry not just in the arts but just in general in general like show them your teeth Mm -hmm. you can bite and you can bite hard and be afraid of you because Mm -hmm. you you don't need to be a monster but you can be (laughs) exactly exactly and then um jack keenan made the suit itself so he actually physically made the suit and he worked on the wizard of oz so millicent patrick designed everything and did all the applications and she was working on set but she worked with jack keenan and who made the suit and then chris mueller jr sculpted the head which i thought was pretty cool um, yes. And then Rico Browning played the creature in all the underwater scenes. And there is um, a con that I used to go to in Orlando when I lived in Orlando called Spooky Empire because, you know, some of the scenes were filmed down in, in Florida, like maybe 45 minutes to an hour outside of Orlando in one of the springs. The and mm-hmm. okay. and he he's like, oh, gosh, he's got to be in his 90s now. But he sits at this con every spooky empire with his little tote bags and his little pictures and he's just charging fifteen dollars for a little for a little autograph and he just sits there and he's the sweetest he's just so sweet that is okay like i don't know how much of your audience goes to cons but fifteen dollars is a sneeze of a price right right because when you like i was so i was standing in the room like looking around and of course, like they had an Adams family reunion the, the one year. So, you know, Christopher Lloyd and Christina Ricci and everybody was there. Yeah. And they were charging so much money. And then this little 
this little cutie is sitting in the corner with his creature from the Black Lagoon stuff, and it's like $15. Oh, my goodness. It just made me melt. Oh, my goodness. Don't get me wrong. As an artist who has to capitalize on something, I get it. You need to make your bang for your buck. Like, I respect it. Um, I used to go to Son of Monster Palooza um, quite frequently. Mm. Never actually made it to Monster Palooza, but uh, Son of Monster Palooza, which was hosted over in Burbank. And um, every year I would forget to get out cash. Every year the ATM would run out of cash. So you were stuck. Every year these people only accepted cash. And so there would be multiple times that I would wait in a line for an hour just to shake hands with somebody, they would be mildly perturbed that I wasn't there to spend money, but they would graciously shake my hand <laughs> and, you know, give me my 45 seconds and move along. But it, right. I get it. I get it. But like yeah. 50 to 100 bucks just for that 45 seconds is an investment. That is. It is. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and he, he knows... He knows what he's worth and he knows he's a little gem in the rough. Uh, uh, to clarify, that is Rico. Rico. Oh my gosh. That just, that warms my heart so very much. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then this is like the last of the classic universal monsters. I think it's funny that he gets lumped in, that the Gill Man gets lumped in with like, you know, the Invisible Man and Frankenstein and all of the ones, because those are from the 30s. Yes. And then there was a huge break. Right. And then... This one was the last one. And I know that they've done like, you know, some alien movies, some Martian movies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But truly, yeah, he's the only one that has really made an impact as far as those Atomic Age movies. Because when you think about the other Atomic Age ones, they're just like large gargantuan things. They're not like a monster. It's just like, oh, look, a big ant. Oh, look, a big leech or something. Or even like they have their their moment of like alien-esque things so and they, they've gone right. on to be recreated so um jack arnold also did um thing no um what what john carpenter remade as the thing what is the name oh uh it, the the thing from outer space the, the thing from another world thing from another yeah yes yes yes, yes. um ooh, as a carpenter fan i should know this information it's okay, oh. okay. <laughs> oh right it was it it came from outer space, and I believe it's the thing from the world. Other. Something anyway. So still a Jack Arnold film. Um, yes, but uh, yeah. So like they they left their mark in history in film history, but the fact right. that the Gill Man had this longevity and is considered a great is is a feat. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, and they're doing so. It hasn't been confirmed, but the rumors are pretty accurate that the new Universal theme park is getting a Universal Classic Monster Land. I'm going to cry. I, I feel like I always talk about this. Are you talking about it's East so, Coast or West Coast? I'm talking about Florida. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You guys don't have the room. No, we don't. <laughs> no, they they shut down one of my favorite bars in Burbank to build Harry Potter Land. It was this so Elvis karaoke bar. And oh, like it fun. shut down... I was only of age for maybe a year or two before it got bulldozed. Oh, damn. Yes. And the name of it escapes me at the moment. Also, the original residuals, I think, was a byproduct of that. So there's a bar that is residuals and residual checks in film. Mm-hmm. So if you get something for a check mailed to you for under a dollar, you bring your check in, you turn it in for a free drink. and they That's amazing. Yeah. Only in LA. Yeah, only in LA. But it's just such a Hollywood thing. It is, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, so we're getting we're getting a new theme park out here in Florida. And, well, like like I live in Florida, it, I, on on the East Coast in in Orlando, and one of the lands is going to be Universal Classic Monsters. And the rumor of the expansion plot is that there's going to be a Creature from the Black Lagoon boat type ride because we they took away our jaws to build Harry Potter. So there's there's rumors that that's the expansion plot of like a Jaws esque but Creature from the Black Lagoon, which. I'm fucking losing my shit. (laughs) I want that so bad. (laughs) Really didn't think that there was anything to ever bring me back to Florida. I really, I really thought that like that was I. I didn't have reason to go back, but oh, are you tempting me? (laughs) H H N, baby. That's I'm. I I know you are L A through and through, but the Orlando Horror Nights infinitely better than Hollywood. (laughs) I've only been once to Halloween Horror Nights. Um, I just, I don't do contact well. Well, they can't touch you. They can't touch you, but they're in your breathing space. Okay. Um, yeah, I, it's just, it doesn't like the, the idea of like an escape room or anything of that nature Hmm. just doesn't jive well with me. Not so much that like, I don't want to be in those situations. I just, I don't, I don't know how to put this um, politely. Um, I don't want the rage of an unemployed actor taken out on me. (laughs) (laughs) I get that. That's fair. (laughs) Like, I I just, I just don't, I know, I know the monster underneath. Right. And that's too personal, but I that might you. also be a very callous thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> because I love You're totally fine. actors. I love, I love, I love my actors as a whole. Um, yeah. I love creating a rapport when working with an individual. There's creativity in every step if you look for it and you allow for it to happen. Um, right. The, the, beauty of background acting work and um just like the quick thinking that you need to help facilitate the ambiance for whatever world that you are working in yeah but yeah um i i also know the level of that human that gravitates <laughs> that job and <laughs> i'm just going to change subjects because i can get i i can yeah <laughs> Oh, you're good. We can drink. <laughs> we can we can sidebar on that later. <laughs> so, okay, so a little a little bit more backstory. So, in 1941, um, it said that William Allen, who was one of the producers on the film, was at a dinner at Orson Welles' house, as you do in the 40s. He was also in Citizen Kane. At um, he was the unfaced reporter in Citizen Kane, William Allen, and at this party um a mexican cinematographer named gabriel uh, figueroa who was also in attendance was talking to him about the um i'm probably gonna butcher this a little bit but the capital george how do you pronounce this i'm gonna ask my husband how do i pronounce this capitilli capitilli it's a it's a Aztec legend of a half man half fish. Ooh, Supercali. Supercali? Supercali? 
Keep a tally. <laughs> we'll go with that We're one. trying much um, harder than George. <laughs> It's because I'm the white one. I can't mess it up. (laughs) Um, So he liked this idea and just kind of sat on it for a decade. And then he started writing for some screenplays. And then all of a sudden, he started thinking about the story of Beauty and the Beast, which is obviously the French classic fairy tale, and then remembered this story that had been told to him. And then he just kind of jotted down a 59-page treatment uh, with Harry Essex, who did write – um, the screenplay and then Creature from the Black Lagoon was born. Oh my goodness. What, yeah. What, what a beautiful tale. And thus, what Guillermo del Toro interpreted from it is all the yes. more beautiful because that's not what the mass public necessarily sees. Right. And I think it's beautiful too when you know the original story and knowing that Guillermo del Toro is Mexican mm-hmm. and he uses a lot of Mexican folk tales in his. I'm sure he knows that story. So it just kind of brings this full circle moment back to its roots. Of, oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my I, that's, gosh. <laughs> it's such a beautiful, I love this movie so much. I think this one, do, I mean, I have deep, deep, deep love for the bride. Yeah, look at, look at little Julia Adams. Oh, she's so great. <laughs> oh, can I, can I take a moment to sidebar here? Um, yeah, go so, for it. As I, as I previously mentioned, um, with my privilege of going to the Cinematheque and seeing it so many times and et cetera, there were a handful of times in which Julie Adams was present for Q&As. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I credit the Cinematheque to so much of my filmography because of the myriad of Q&As that they have and the vast variety of people that they come through and the Q&As that I've been able to sit through and just learn how to make films and just yeah. hear the voices of so many different people in different walks of life and et cetera. But um, I sat there and I was like racking my brain of like, what's a really intellectual question that I can ask her? And you know, <laughs> I really, I really want to ask her something that's worthwhile. And so she had mentioned yeah. how, you know, she, um, uh, with all these different roles that she had been offered and everything. And so I raised my hand and I asked her and I was like, you got the opportunity to play a female scientist that's so different from the roles that were being offered to women in that day the women weren't on the intellectual side they were on the beautitious side what Mm -hmm. you know what what and I tried so hard to come up with a question Mm. (laughs) what preparation did you take in learning about the scientists and science world that you were able to bring into your performance and she looked at me and she was just like girl I was doing 50 movies a year I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here but she was just like yeah there was no preparation there was nothing of that sort I got the script I memorized the script I said the lines there was there was no meta anything here or there or whatever right and I don't remember if it was a following question or if she took that and went into a tangent but she went into a whole entire speech about the bathing suit. Oh my goodness. And I was so mad at myself because I was like, no, that was me. That that, that was what I should have been asking about was the goddamn bathing suit. Right? <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. Costumes, not acting. What the fuck do I know about acting? I'm sorry. I don't know if I can use the F word on this. Oh no, you totally can. 
You're good. But, I'm in the art like, what, what do I know about acting? Here I am trying to act, ask as an intellectual question, but goodness, no. Um, so she went on about the persistent amount of fittings that they had for the bathing suit and just like uh-huh. um, not showing too much skin, not doing this, not doing that. And like how, how she was able to move and et cetera, and still be able to adhere to all of the restrictions of a female form that could be seen, but not explicitly seen on camera. Right. If I'm yeah. Thinking, this is still a hazy period. Yes. Yes. Yep. So we are in the Hayes Code until 1968. Yes. And we are still in studio That's era. We're getting era. away from it, but we are still in or coming off of like the big high of studio era movie making where people write, like you said, we're doing 50 films a year yes. for seven year contracts or whatever, you know? Exactly. And again, I, yeah. I don't know her filmography well enough to know whether or not it was 76 films in that year that she did. But, you know, she was just like, girl, no, there was no preparation of that nature. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I used to know, and now the the name is eluding me. I'm trying to Google this because I actually used to know the the name of the designer, which is a famous designer. I've I've mentioned it before of the swimsuit. Um, oh, and I'm forgetting it, but it was a famous vintage swimsuit designer yes. that, that did these. I, yes, Didi. No, no, two names. I have one in black. Oh, oh, yeah. I. I too feel like this is information that was absorbed into my brain at some point in time. And it's a woman's name. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's, a, it's an M and an L maybe. It'll come to oh. both of us in the middle of the night and we'll text each other and be like, biscuits and gravy. That's what it was. <laughs> but while we're on the, on the topic of costumes, Rosemary Odell was the costume designer. Um, and she did this film and she did To Kill a Mockingbird, which is a huge film for her. Um, and she's done a ton of other films. Like she's got she's got a pretty robust filmography, but she's really known for this. Brute Force, which is her first film, and Backlash. But also like in the same way that we're talking about Julie Adams and her being in so many films in one one year. The same thing for crew members. They were on contract yes. studio. You go in and you go out. Like we all yeah. praise Edith Head. Edith Head is our Lord and Savior. She is who she is. But yeah. she was on contract with Paramount and then Universal. The reason that she has the filmography that she does is purely because she existed in the world of contracts. Like absolutely, hundred percent, job to job to job because that's what was showing up. Like in the same way that you metaphorically see people at desk jobs getting handed those file folders, those are the things yeah. that are coming your way and you have to creatively churn shit out. Yeah. <laughs> and what pe- what people don't realize during that time too, which is like so much of the research work that I have been doing is that so many people have been written out of history because yes. Okay. So you had a head designer, like somebody like Edith had, who wasn't a head designer her whole career. Like she worked under people for a while. And then you, but you had in this era in particular, because of the way that they allocated all this budget money, you had somebody taking care of men's clothing. You had somebody taking care of women's clothing. That's why you get those gowns by credits where it's like, well, that's just a throwaway freaking credit because it just sounds like they didn't do anything but shop. And then you had, you know, your, 
your supervisors, and then obviously all the job descriptions that we have today, but like there was somebody taking care of everything. And if it was a modern piece, men were taking care of their own stuff. And they were maybe seeing a tailor. I mean, what I've learned is that Marjorie Best was the only woman in the game in the 50s doing men's tailoring. And all of the men were pissed. Like what happened to Millicent Patrick? This is probably why she didn't get the credit because all of these men that were working around her were like, no, I don't like this. This is a man's job or quote unquote man's job because you're tailoring, because you're doing sculpting, because you're doing something else. And, you know, Schmuckalo, that was, a you know, the head of Universal makeup department i'm not even going to use his name because it's not even worth citing this guy he got his makeup kit from jack pierce who was also like a raging meanie oh no yeah (laughs) shucks yeah so he got his ego and his makeup kit from him i mean great great work i will not dispute his work we're we're, the person whom we're not going to name did he have brothers he does okay so so it's it's that that group of folk understood yes um yeah I, I'm going to tie this into um, contemporary things. So Sandy Powell yeah. just yes. recently received the first ever, fuck, I don't actually know the title of it, but it is an achievement awarded through the BAFTAs. And she's the right. first ever costume designer to win this award and first ever person of her caliber to yeah. um, be given this acknowledgement and her acceptance speech was the classiest thing ever because it really was it's like i don't stand here on a threshold of my own i stand here Mm -hmm. on the shoulders of everyone within my department that makes my department feasible yeah um i was working on um aquaman some years ago Mm -hmm. which was a very pivotal job for me personally the connections that i made on that show have been revolutionary to my career like I I hold each and every one of those connections that I made on that film very dear to my heart but there was a point in which every single scale on Mira um who was played by Amber Heard um her her suit was hand-painted wow by and every single panel went into that was hand-painted and so there was a Saturday in which the 35 people in the department had to take a shift and just come in for two or three hours and just paint panels. And I mean, again, we're talking about things that completely break union code, et cetera, but you're everyone, everyone from every single point right. was taking it. And I was sitting there and I was painting scales with the designer who was there from start to finish that day. So despite each person coming in for their two-hour shift, that designer was there hand-painting. And her name's Kim Barrett. Kim Barrett deserves all credit in the world. She is one of the people that is so startling nice that you just, like, you you don't know how to hold yourself because she's just so nice. And you're just being on such edge around people of her caliber and her position. But she's just kind. And, oh, that's so happy to hear. Oh my God. I love that woman. Um, but I was just sitting there and I was like trying my best to compliment her. And with every compliment that I hurled at her, because I'd never been put in the position of being with her one-on-one and I just didn't yeah. know how to do that in like a normal setting without being like, can I get you a tea? Can I, can I, can I help you? Cause I was just a PA. <laughs> um, 
but with everything i was just like how how do you do this and like with every compliment that i gave her she kept shooting it down and being like this isn't just me it's not just me and this and i was just like but your magic wand and she was just like if it's me holding a magic wand there's 500 other hands attached to that and the more that i grow in this field and this experience and et cetera, I understand that it's not her magic wand, but I still harbor that notion of it's your vision as right. you dole out the work and there are other visions that help to build to that center, but yeah. still, and she was just like, she revoked it. She was just like, wow. no, this is not just me. I am a department. Yeah. yeah sorry. That was a really wow. long. <laughs> No, I love that. Like, I just, I also just want to point out that Kelsey is like freaking amazing. Like the, the the stories of the projects that she tells me that she works on, I'm just like, okay, girl. I thought, you know, we're talking about creatures like we're gonna bring up Aquaman. You know, like, just fish. Yeah, no. <laughs> I love it. No, I live for it because I love hearing these stories. These, I love them. On a complete side note, when we are not recording and my peers have no chance of hearing this story, <laughs> I have a story for you about how how and why Aquaman changed my life and how it ties into Tiki, but it is so rated X. <laughs> <laughs> so again, let's talk about Tiki then. So you- Oh, yes. So you, how did you get into, was it just from thrifting, from vintage shopping and just. No, like, I like, I often think about how this, oh, they just lit him on fire. But he survives. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I often think about how this this thing that is so much a part of my life came into my life right um, i really i think about the venn diagram of like world war ii mid-century modern that kind of encapsulated like decade of like 45 to 55. yeah uh, well i guess i guess 42 to 52 is really that my obsession with um uh uh, american girl we can go back to that i mean was molly your favorite molly was up there molly was my favorite because she had glasses and looked like me it wasn't even the glasses (laughs) it was just something about the american pride Yes. The, yeah. The World War II stories. I've been obsessed since. Yeah. I was like, mom, can we get a victory garden? She was like, no, it's not the 40s. Literally that. Like I forced my mother to go out and buy all the vegetables for a victory garden so that I could make a victory cake. Oh my God. I to bring to so class. No project affiliated. <laughs> I just wanted to bring this to school. The like I was such an outcast. I was so ostracized because of my like obsession. Actually, here's a really funny side story that I feel like this is the only time I can tell this. Yeah. 
my fifth grade teacher and I got along so well. Mr. Boyd, he was phenomenal. We got along so well because of my affinity for history and specifically World War II and how I was mm-hmm. going out of my way to find these books on history that were still of my grade level and like mm-hmm. finding stuff. And he was so excited for JFK's assassination day to come around because of (laughs) because of the lesson plan that he had and he was like Kelsey you're gonna freaking love this and obviously that's not the vocab that he used right Kelsey this is coming up next week but I couldn't because I was going to Hawaii with my friend because her mom was on location in Hawaii. Oh my god. That's so funny. And that's such a historian thing to do to be excited about an assassination. Yes. Like that's that's a historian thing. 100%. So like I was missing school to go to Hawaii with my friend where her school was off to go see her mom on location in Hawaii and 112263 which is now one of my favorite Stephen King novels. But yeah, so um, November 11th, and he was so excited for his lesson plan. And to this day, I'm so sad that I missed that lesson plan. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I mean, the Venn diagram of vintage clothing, vintage history, just like the everything that came out of like post world world war two americana has kind of always been there in my my affinity for american culture and history but as a i've grown as a human and i've learned the world outside of my immediate surroundings which yeah you know you have to that's what makes you an interesting human um (laughs) (laughs) you um I've 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 learned so much more about like the Americans that traveled outside during that time period brought an escapism back with them growing up in Santa Monica knowing beach culture and kind right. of the residual effects of what that is and all of that it's just like it was a perfect storm between like vintage history film west coast uh, admiration that just kind of like boiled into this so yeah as a matter of fact um one of my dearest friends katie walker i love her um i met her doing film at usc so after i took that job off craigslist i started getting referred to jobs at usc film school as a costume designer because they don't offer that as a major there so that's usually an outside hired thing and so mm-hmm. I got referred to a bunch of um stuff there and I actually wound up essentially going to film school for free that's awesome yeah um because I was hired to go do stuff there and so I didn't have to go to class I didn't have to turn shit in I just showed up and I right, you got paid. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I was given a budget and then I was paid for it and it was great. Um, so I met some of my dearest friends in that time period of my life. And Katie Walker is one of them. And as I was messaging her getting ready for tonight, I was like, 
So I'm using the uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon mug that you gifted me. You also gave me the bottle of rum that I'm using to make cocktails. <laughs> and we're talking about one of our favorite movies that, um, yeah. So Katie Walker has been a huge influence on my life as well. She is just, I love her and her husband and her daughter and whose name is Vera, by the way. Oh, I love that name. Yes. yes. Um, so yeah, so she, she's been a huge part of all of that. It is such a yeah. file with me and we, we get all gussied up and go and see like old school movies on the screen for my birthday and stuff. We go get high tea and I love it. Um, but yeah, so she gifted me this, uh, this mug here. <laughs> I love that. I, I also too have the same mug in a different colorway and um, you will, I'm going to be doing a separate video for just just uh how to make what we drank tonight yes so don't worry you'll get that <laughs> but yeah i was thinking about the differences of beach culture because what i realized because like the idea of kitsch yes. has always been romanticized to my to me yes because the east coast is so much older than the west coast and i didn't really get a taste of that kitsch until i did a movie on oklahoma on route 66 and i was like oh this is fantastic yes and I was always kind of into mid-century stuff. Like, you know, we always I always collected Pyrexes and my mom has a bunch of Pyrexes and, and everything. But I don't know. There's just like the beach culture I hear. Like when I think of 40s, I think of like, you know, that first season of Agent Carter when, you know, it's New York and it's chrome and it's the automats and mm-hmm. it's, you know, the Fords and yeah. all of that stuff. So that's kind of my conceptualization of of what is the residual atomic age of the 30s. Yes. Yeah. So like the bustling, booming New York City and, you know, the the suburban sprawl that happens because Long Island, where I grew up, was one of the first suburban communities after World War II. So that was the history that I got from my family of like, yeah, they moved from the city and they came out here and this is where they parked it. <laughs> I'm like, that was it. <laughs> and they got their GI bills and then they had families and that's how my parents were born. Like that's... <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I love I and then, you know, George is always kind of, you know, he's loved tiki. We have a bunch of tiki mugs. Love tiki mugs and and Kel- and it was Kelsey's <laughs> introduction into the world of like tiki kitsch events is how we found Tiki Oasis, which is like so fun. So, yeah, so Tiki Oasis is such a wonderful escapism and, and yeah. part of escapism and they are the longest running marketplace to a cure or acquire these mm-hmm. things to create your own escapism at home. I love that so much. We have to, have you ever heard of the world war two era ball? Yes. In theory, but I feel like it's okay. so much more information than what I'm about to know. <laughs> no, you're good. So it's out in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. And it is, I went one year. I would love to go again. All the old planes, all the old cars, the Glenn Miller Orchestra plays. Like it is just yes. Oh, it's like a victory fest, and every night at the end, like every year at the end of the ball, it's D Day, and they drop the ball and they like explode all the confetti, and they actually have veterans from World War II that are still alive. They come to the event, and Holy. it's beautiful. Oh my god, you cry your eyes out because yes, yeah, that it's it's so much fun. I highly recommend. Um, there is a gal whom I followed for a number of years on Instagram, who's actually from New Zealand mm. and she came out for Viva Las Vegas and she attended that ball. And that, oh. that is my familiarity with it. But 
Okay. I mean, for as beautiful as that is, and so much you want to be like America, hurrah, like we love it. There is that like, we are celebrating something that has Mm -hmm. questionable morals. Yeah. I mean, it's right all over this film. (laughs) Oh, oh, completely and totally. Um, Yeah. But that's something that I think with the lockdown and the pandemic and so many people being like hyper-focused in certain areas, I'm really grateful for the way that the Tiki community came together and there was this movement of appreciation versus appropriation. And right. um, there's a magazine that I subscribe to called um, Modern Something. Oh, God, it's going to come to me. I have like literally 35 copies sitting in my living room. And I can't <laughs> recall the name of it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's a, there's, a, there's a magazine that I subscribe to, but there's this whole article about like appropriation versus appreciation and um adrian who is uh, known as polynesian pop um he has a podcast called desert oasis room which is the name of his home tiki bar he himself mm-hmm. is filipino and has really hunkered down and has like been on panels and creating slideshows about the history of tiki and how you can either um appropriate or you mm-hmm. appreciate yeah, And it has been a strong guiding line for me of what I'm willing to participate in. Yeah. Um, and so if you understand the history of how Tiki came to be, which there's an amazing documentary coming out um, directed by Alex Lamb. And I forget his directing partner's name. Um, <laughs> but it's about uh, Don the Beachcomber, who is the guy who opened okay. the very first ever Tiki bar. Um, day after prohibition and how his um his beachcomber ways of exploring the caribbean allowed for him to purchase a bunch of rum when the prohibition lifted and how he was able to create all of these cocktails and entire movement and yeah it's uh it's really fascinating um trader vic came along later and he has a more recognizable name within the um he's had more longevity Mm -hmm. but um yeah it's uh it's all very fascinating the tiki world and how things and i wish i was being more articulate (laughs) no i this is super informative this is more than i have ever learned about it i mean it's never it's it's something that I have just newly acquired and gotten into because I know the other history of it. So this is really nice to get this other side of that movement. And like I did um in my former life, I was a pinup model. <laughs> and a lot of the women, because I was in Florida, I was the, in the Florida chapter of the Luscious Ladies. Ooh. And because I was in Florida, um, so many of the women in my my in our chapter were all tiki women and they were you know like one of the girls oh gosh she was adorable her name is juniper jones and like you know just really cute like tiki names but like so i kind of got a little bit of that history but like it's really nice to get even more of that and that's why i'm so excited for tiki oasis because we signed up for all those those classes and i can't wait seminars are truly what make tiki oasis just unique thing um i honestly don't know if um any of the other events that happen outside because i know there's in huele which is i think in um uh atlanta um there's one that happens in florida there's tiki con up in oregon um 
there's there's just they're everywhere there's there's so many there's dozens um but tiki oasis has seminars and so Hmm. despite the fact that there are cocktails being served as you enter granted they're little sippers and they're all hosted by um or they're all sponsored by different rum companies or different liquor companies in general (laughs) it is a drinking fest in which you are inebriated but there's also such culture and history and so the big thing is you have to take a notebook with you (laughs) oh I will oh I cannot wait I I think that's what what why these events kind of I'm not a cosplayer um I just that's never something I've been interested in but I love and I wouldn't even call it reenacting because when I think of reenactment, I think of like, you know, the guys who do the Civil War stuff down, you know, on the battlefields, which is so cool too. But like, and I love- There are nurses. There are. Yes, there are. <laughs> um, but I, what I love about these types of events and like the the one in Boulder and stuff is the, I just love, I, I, is it a, is it a history bounding, yes. a history cosplay? Yes. Just, just wearing historical accurate clothing. Like, I just love it all yeah. because it's just- Oh, God, I used to go to the office every day in 40s. I don't know how I would do my hair every morning because now I don't want to do it. <laughs> They're, yeah, the people who definitely subscribe to Vintage 24-7, that's a commitment. Yes. yes, good for all of y'all. I support that. That is that is a true desire um but sometimes mama needs a pair of leggings and a sweater exactly Um, (laughs) i also recognize so many things that have been developed between 1952 and 2003 yeah 23 what year 23 yeah they're 23 it feels like 2003 sometimes when i think about the 90s being 10 years ago and they're not gracious good gracious um but yeah no there's uh there's some really fun things about going and submerging yourself into a culture and appreciating a time period but also like yeah. so with the the um appreciation versus appropriation is yes you can appreciate how things were in mm-hmm. 1934 after the prohibition was lifted or you can recognize that it's nearly 100 years later how can you grow with that how can you exactly how how can you not completely shun an entire community whose ancestors brought forth the flavors in which you are yeah supplying and yeah there's a whole um movement in the vintage community as a whole that they've they've made pins everything that say vintage clothing not vintage values which i think is so perfect yes yeah um i can appreciate well-tailored clothing that fits my feminine form. Yeah. I can also appreciate that that feminine form has shifted and who obtains that form is not necessarily conventionally the same thing that would have been appreciated or the same person that would have been appreciated a hundred years ago. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Masculinity of it all. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what is so interesting when you come back to this film a ton of times is that when it was presented to people in the 50s, as with all atomic age horror or sci-fi, it was that all these all these guys are the good guys, right? Like the quote unquote. And they were trying to stop the other because that was what was happening at the time with McCarthyism, with this, you know, this chemical warfare that was going on and, and everything that kind of led us into the Cold War. 
And when you, when the Cold War ended, yeah, see, that's that's the other. <laughs> Kelsey, Kelsey's got it on the background. She keeps flipping her screen around. But when you, when you full like take it out of its context of like I feel like immediately when we cross the threshold, and this is probably cinematically too, when we cross that haze threshold in '68, and all of a sudden we have films like Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist and things that are that are really challenging our perception on social structures and norms and everything is you're so, you're now viewing this and like the creature is not a creature he's not a monster anymore he was living and existing in his own world and these people came in and disrupted that world yeah. like let's bring this huge tugboat into this beautiful pristine untouched lagoon like yes that's a great idea i can when people are still doing that shit i can almost even say like if you're watching the African Queen, yeah, and you have Bogart and um, uh, uh, Hepburn like driving, like going up, and he gets out and he gets attached by leeches. Yeah, those are their terrain. Your right. asshole who's dragging your gas field shit through there. Of course, they're going to attack you. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. So I think by the way, this film, I could have. I mean, not just, I had to reference oh. a book that was by <laughs> Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. <laughs> Catherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart <laughs> in The African Queen. I love that movie. It's a great movie. It's a good movie. If you ever get a chance to see it on IB a Technicolor, it mm. is truly outstanding because IB Technicolor was a way in which they colorized the film that doesn't mm. fade. So it's in the exact same condition from the day that it was screened until now and it is just that's amazing so visually wonderful um i've seen a couple of ib technicolor prints and they are just beautiful <laughs> i i will definitely keep an eye out we don't do unfortunately there's not that many screenings like that by me we do get a lot of art house stuff i will give that like new york obviously because of the beat movement there's a ton of like art house yes. films everywhere um but yeah, not so much like old Hollywood classics. Like you'll get them sometimes depending on the theme of the month of the program of, of the movie theater you go to. But I try to revive them all the time. <laughs> the um, uh, IFC theater in yeah. Washington Square? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, the first time I was ever in New York in 2013 was doing a Kubrick re retrospective. And, okay. Yeah, I just happened to be walking by and I was like, oh, Kubrick. And they were like, come back. We're doing this thing called Room 237. And I was like, what? And they're like, don't ask questions. If you like Kubrick, just come back. And I was like, okay, what do I do for X amount of time? They're like, there's a jazz bar across the street. <laughs> so I went to a jazz bar in New York. Oh, yeah. And then came back and had my mind blown by the documentary Room 237. Like. I actually have never seen that documentary, but I will say I have listened to the Faculty of Horror podcast on that documentary, and they have some contentious things to say about the documentary. So now I want to watch the documentary and go back to that episode and like find sources because, yeah. Here's the thing. It mm -hmm. is a controversial documentary. That's what I've heard. Through and through. I was fortunate enough that on that trip, I had a meeting at IFC 
um the actual like built oh yeah, yeah and i mentioned that i had seen the documentary in that trip and so they sent me home with a dvd of it and so i have watched that dvd maybe every other month for the last 10 years and every other time i watch it i'm like this is full of shit <laughs> this is a ridiculous gathering of ridiculous people spouting off ridiculous information. <laughs> and then other times I'm like, holy cannoli, what have these people tapped into? This is on another level. Oh my God, stop <laughs> the presses. This is everything. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I myself, my Gemini self, cannot even make up her own mind over what I love that. It is absurd or completely valid. <laughs> well, Kelsey, okay. So I think we'll get with um some wrapping up thoughts. Yes. This has been a delightful <laughs> conversation, by the way. I this has been so lovely. <laughs> I could talk to you about this for hours. <laughs> oh, honestly, I could too. I know. This, yeah, this film is timeless. It is the last of the universal classic monsters, like the recognizable ones. I think I'm pretty sure besides like, I don't know what, what the what the ranking of the popularities are for all of the monsters, honestly. Because you, you go places and like Frank is everywhere. And then you go other places and it's like Dracula is everywhere. So I can't say who has a favorite. I know people have their favorites, but. I think Gil Gilly's Gilman's my Gilly and the Bride. I have to say, I think Frankenstein is my favorite. But hmm. I always forget that he's my favorite because I've spent so much time with the Gilman. Yeah. Um, also, it just ended, and I didn't realize it's only an hour and nineteen minutes. Yeah, it's a tiny. It's a tight. It's a tight little film. Tight. Yeah, they all are. All the Universal monsters are. But hour 19 that's a short movie and it well dracula is only like an hour three wow the original dracula yeah wow okay um, yeah i don't find the 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 wolf man interesting oh no i henry talbot as a human being i have lots of thoughts actually we should just keep doing freaky tiki and go through all the classic monsters and have our have our thoughts because i have many thoughts i would because i own most of them on vhs Okay. Yeah, I I have the Gilman, and I and I've actually never watched, though I own it, Revenge. Okay. Yeah, I've never seen Revenge of the Creature. Um, I think I've seen it like a couple times growing up. I mean, my dad loves TCM, and that's always on in our house, like growing up and now. Yep. So I've seen it. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, I've definitely seen, um, Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein. Um, I've seen Dracula. I own Dracula. Um, I I think I only own Bride. I don't know if I own Frank. Um, hmm. Creature, Wolfman, and I own Wolfman, but I just don't care. I just I Henry Talbot, and we can get into this if we do a Wolfman episode. Yeah. Uh, poor Gwen just wants to be left alone, and he's creeping on her through his binoculars, yeah. and he's telling her like, "Hey, those earrings that I saw on your dresser," and she's like, "Why do you know what's on my dresser?" <laughs> also, I'm engaged to somebody else that's not you. Back Get up. lost, buddy. <laughs> like, leave Gwen alone. She wants to own her antique shop with her dad and like live her life. Um, uh, ba 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 ba. Uh, Invisible Man. That one's a good one. I. 
I think I have more to say about the remake than I do the original. Okay. Yeah. We could do a comparison side by side. What about the mummy? I, again, I have more to say about the remake than the original, but I was, I mean, flabbergasted by the original when I saw it because it was yeah. nothing like I expected as, so maybe that's it. Growing up on the mummy, like, holy yeah. shit did i mean yeah we were 90s kids so yeah oh my god um speaking of which i tragically was unable to attend a brendan fraser marathon that happened the other day at the cinematech mm. it was there in person for q a and apparently like, i did everything because i didn't want to make myself even sadder like i skipped past all the stories on instagram but he was there engaged with his audience caring and being just the sweetest individual ever um, he is such a sweetie so yeah maybe we'll have to do we'll have to do some episodes of like because this one never got a remake well besides the guillermo del toro yes shape of water which is beautiful yes Oh my god! And it won best costume design. They were trying to build a universe. Apparently, they were trying. Um, yeah. Uh, Angelina Jolie was on board to make a Bride of Frankenstein reboot, and I know mm. somebody that was like on the makeup team for it. Like it was happening, and he was telling me yeah. all about the uh, the production office and how it was like interactive, and like you felt like you were walking into a layer and everything, and. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm. We'll we'll talk about it another late because I would love to do this. I would love to do yeah. this a series. <laughs> yeah, this is a great series. I think this is a lot of fun to do, and then we can like keep experimenting because I have, we have a Frankenstein tiki mug, we have a bride tiki mug. I've got we've got a couple creatures, and then we've got like alien and Reagan. <laughs> I have Reagan. Wait, you have a Reagan? <laughs> My brother-in-law got it for me for Christmas. <laughs> Um, we don't have to talk about this on the podcast, but my obsession with Ronald Reagan. Specifically- oh, not Ronald Reagan, like Reagan. Oh, uh, from The Exorcist. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were gonna tell me you had like a pea soup themed tiki drink to make. I mean, I I could probably whip something together. Um, but no, probably. I really want a Ronald Reagan tiki mug now. That would be really funny, and we we will sidebar about this Ronald Reagan obsession. <laughs> That just feels like <laughs> goodness gracious. Oh my god, you have so oh much goodness. editing to do. This is almost two hours long. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. They're they're usually about an hour thirty-ish. That's okay. Perfect. So Kelsey, yes, ma'am. final thoughts. Where can my listeners find you? I'm on Instagram at Kelsey Costumes. Um, and if you feel so intrigued, my website is KelseyTeamMorgan.com. Absolutely. Go follow her. She's amazing. And thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and to review as it helps other listeners to find the podcast. (laughs) You can also follow as well on Instagram at hangingbyathreadbts and on Twitter at hanging underscore BTS. I will continue asking the questions and untangling the details to keep you all hanging by a thread. (laughs) 